Hey everybody, and welcome to the Experimental Aircraft Channel's podcast, or what we like to call the EAC Aviation Podcast, where we talk to fellow builders, manufacturers, and pilots about experimental, light sport, and ultralight aviation. Be sure to check us out on the web at experimentalaircraftchannel.com. We have a lot to talk about today, so let's dive right in to the aviation conversation. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Experimental Aircraft Channel, and this one's a little special. We're talking to a guy named James Wiebe. Uh, in the past, you know him from B-Light Aircraft and the Chipper, and some things have happened in the past, and some things are about to happen in the future. I just wanted to bring him on and have him kind of out of the horse's mouth explain what is going on. So welcome, James. I appreciate being here. Good to have you. Good to have you. Merry, Merry Christmas and soon to be Happy New Year. Yes, to you too. So I'll kind of jump around just a little bit here, but uh, if you could explain at this moment, because uh, you've got a couple different things on the web, B-Light Aircraft and then Chipper Arrow, what was then and what is now and what is moving forward? Then, now, moving forward, got it. Okay, B-Light Aircraft uh, was the uh, company name and uh, branding that we used for ever so long of a time. Uh, basically when we were doing nothing but ultralight aircraft. Uh, and then uh, at the time that we developed Chipper, we created this uh, two-place design, uh, the Chipper 2, uh, which uh, at that point we started to use the name Chipper to describe our two-place efforts. And uh, B-Light was our historical single-place ultralight efforts. That's confusing. And I acknowledge that it's confusing. I've kind of decided that moving forward, Everything's going to fall underneath the Chipper brand. I'm still actively using uh, B-Light Aircraft uh, out on Facebook, and I'm also using Chipper actively out on Facebook as well. But uh, 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 there really is just one set of efforts moving forward. So I've really focused on Chipper, Chipper.Aero, uh, as the main place to find out about our information. Uh, the bad news is, is that we've just not pulled all the information together yet in one spot but uh, that will happen given a little bit more time. Okay, and that's fine. And that's why I wanted to add clarity here for everybody. So if you're searching on the web, you're gonna find still belightaircraft.com and you've got a couple of different links on that landing page there, but where, where you want everybody to go moving forward will be chipperarrow.com. Yep, I just started updating it about a week ago. It's just a mess of uh, broken links and things, but uh, it's coming together. And as we go through into the new year and into the springtime, we'll get it fixed up and looking spiffy. Perfect, perfect. So not, not to bring up, dig up the past, but I know even for myself, there's a few questions of, of what actually happened. We, we heard about the fire, obviously. Um, very sorry to hear about that happened with you and, and your company. But if you could just a couple minutes explain what happened, what was lost during the sure. fire. Sure. Well, that was uh, early June of uh, 2019, uh, 2018, 2019. I'm losing track. Uh, in any case, uh, we, my wife and I had settled into bed and were watching TV around 11 o'clock. Got a phone call from the police saying that there'd been a fire at our facility and we needed to come. When we got there, uh, there was around 20 different emergency vehicles surrounding our building. And one quick look inside as they had mostly wrapped it all up, uh, the entire interior of the building had just been nuked. It was black. Uh, the uh, ShopBot CNC machine 
had been left uh, cutting wood uh, and, you know, um, the uh, it immediately became clear that the dust collector from the CNC machine had uh, caught fire. That was just uh, heartbreaking. Uh, we had uh, shipped four kits <clears throat> that particular day uh, and uh, uh, but I could instantly see that uh, the world had changed uh, significantly. Uh, the outcome of that was that it was a full stop on our operations. There was nothing left to operate with. Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, work in progress, uh, raw material, uh, some uh, uh, tooling, some some samples, uh, just basically everything that uh, was significant to the operation was under that roof, and it was uh, more or less destroyed by it. And uh, unfortunately, as well, uh, I was underinsured dramatically for that particular event. Uh, it was a force majeure in terms of. Uh, the operation, and then uh, I could immediately see that we would have no ability to produce kits uh, physically in any way, and uh, that uh, uh, there was there was no need to employ people. There was nothing for them to do, and uh, uh, things were just blown up. So it was an incredibly sad and distressing day, and it really marked a turning point. Uh, personally and professionally for me. It's just heartbroken. Sure, sure. And a lot of people don't know or don't realize what a small niche business aviation is, especially in manufacturing. Um, mm. So yeah, one little thing goes wrong. It, it upsets the, the balance of everything very, very quickly. So just again, for, for clarity on this, what happened with your CNC machine, and if people aren't familiar with that, oftentimes you can let CNC machines run a program for hours and you can right. walk away from it. And that's what you were doing, apparently. Uh, but unfortunately, this dust collector built up and something caused a spark or overheated and caused the, the dust to ignite. Yeah, I th we think that the uh, the head of the CNC stuck uh, and then the bit was left there spinning, generating uh, heat, smoke and flames. Uh, it didn't shut down. Uh, the guys had worked, I think, late that night. There was a couple of the guys that were in the CNC. Ironically, one of the part-time operators that we had just uh, hired to help us was a retired firefighter. So, uh, 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 yeah, so it caught fire. And in hindsight, being perfect, uh, would never allow a CNC machine. We had it running wood, and it would never allow an unattended CNC machine to be running cutting wood. But it uh, live and learn. It was, uh, uh, it was horrible. Sure. Sure. Well, again, I, I apologize that uh, you've uh, had not, uh, no problem. I, I feel for you. They had to go, to go through that, but let's, let's focus on the future now. So moving yep. forward, uh, which designs are going to be carried, uh, forward with, with your new, uh, chipper arrow.com. Sure. Uh, there's three designs being carried forward. Uh, of course, uh, the preeminent design is chipper two, the two seat, uh, stall plane. And then I'm reviving the uh, Chipper Pro Cub and the Pit uh, Ultra Cub. See, I just called it a Chipper Pro Cub instead of a Beelite Pro Cub. There's some of that branding coming together. Uh, the Pro Cub and the Ultra Cub were really successful. So I'm updating their design so that uh, the Pro Cub and the Ultra Cub are going to look pretty much exactly like a single seat Chipper 2. Uh, uh, common family appearance, common characteristics. And uh, that's where I'm pouring my effort into right now. Uh, supporting Chipper 2. Uh, it's been brought back to life via me returning to flight. I've been issuing service 
uh, bulletins for it, advisories and so forth. I'm helping my community with that. And I'm letting people know that uh, uh, we're gonna have a, a really sweet uh, ultralight design back uh, on the market here in the springtime as well. Awesome, look forward to uh, the reveal of that. I've seen some of the plans you've been sharing on your YouTube channel of yeah. the design of that looks, looks very nice as well. So um, are you starting from scratch with tooling on this or being that most of it's CNC, you just take that program over to a new CNC and, and there you have production again? Uh, <laughs> it's kind of both and kind of neither at the uh, okay. same time. Yeah, we are starting over from scratch. Uh, the uh, files for uh, the chipper two, uh, I've got everything. I've got complete database on that. Uh, the, uh, uh, and so we can take that to the CNC make parts. Uh, bigger issue related to is uh, supply line issues, especially in this current age where aluminum has shot up in price. Mm -hmm. uh, and honeycomb is, uh, I believe, substantially more expensive than what it was uh, three years ago as well. So I've got to take a look at uh, cost of goods and do cost reduction for chipper two in order to make it uh, the best plane that it can possibly be. And I've got that mindful for all of the production work for the uh, Pro Cub and the Ultra Cub as well. That, uh, uh, so, you know, bottom line is uh, my shop bot is back up and running. It survived the fire and I ended up with it. So that's pretty cool. I can make flat parts now we had all of our billet stuff cut outside. That's no big deal. Pricing, of course, will have gone up on aluminum and billet parts as well. I haven't oh, got so that's that's on. one of the questions I had for you as you move forward. How much will be, especially you're you're starting over again, kind of how much yeah. will be produced in-house versus third party, which there's nothing wrong with that because A, a lot of people do it. Uh, and, and most of it is just a program. So how much of it will you do in-house? Is it just the honeycomb or what will you do in-house? Uh, for the uh, Pro Cub and the Ultra Cub, we expect that uh, I, I think I'm going to do almost everything in-house. Uh, the whole point is with that thing is just like uh, that is uh, effort that I can do in my facility. And for the Chipper 2, I was in the process of moving it out of house at the time that we had the fire. That, that's another piece of the irony. And now I haven't uh, assessed yet what the right way is to do that. I think that that I can't answer that that question uh, until we have just a couple more months, a few more months under the road. Certainly by sun and fun, I'll have all those things nailed down. It's just too early now for Chipper 2 to figure that one out. Sure, sure. So which, uh, just to uh, explain to everybody what your, your aircraft or aircrafts are built from, which materials do you use? Is it all aluminum and then the honeycomb aluminum, or do you have a little bit of wood? Is it epoxy? Explain what the materials are used. <laughs> Sure. Uh, for Chipper 2, uh, most of the framework was done with honeycomb aluminum, uh, which is phenomenal. It saved my life when I had my accident up in Alaska back in 2018. Uh, and then, of course, it uses uh, aluminum metal skins, aluminum gussets. There's a tiny bit of wood in it, uh, in, in, uh, 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 but uh, mostly just uh, aluminum, honeycomb aluminum. For Pro Cub and Ultra Cub, it's the same way as well. It's all aluminum uh, bits and pieces of honeycomb aluminum used scantily because it's expensive, combined with uh, aluminum skins and so forth to make it easy to build and, and durable. I'm uh, wood. Oh, people love wood. And uh, I just haven't been able to reconcile, you know, the purity of using wood uh, versus the ability to just use a little bit of it. And ah, that sounds confusing. But the bottom line is, is that I'm building my reputation now with aluminum 
uh, and honeycomb aluminum as the base technology. That's put together with just rivets and uh, glue uh, bonding. Uh, and we know how, I know how to do that. Uh, so, you know, we've, uh, we've got some stuff figured out and it's a great way to build an airplane. Well, that's why I want to move right into the construction of it. So, um, yeah, what, what is, uh, is it just pop rivets and epoxy essentially what you need to, uh, assemble this? Yeah. Now pop rivets sounds cheap, but it's used in so many airplanes. The real secret sauce when you're putting together an airplane using a combination of aluminum and honeycomb and aluminum uh, is learning, first of all, that the best way to do it is to is to bond all of your lines with epoxy. And of course, surface treatment is so important when you're doing that cleaning, roughing and uh, cleaning. Uh, and then uh, uh, bonding along the seam line with epoxy, following that up with rivets. Uh, the idea then is, is that you're, you're using the epoxy to create this incredible, you know, shear tension and then you're using the rivets to keep the whole assembly together over the life of the airframe. Uh, honeycomb aluminum after all is used uh, throughout uh, the aviation industry and has been for for decades. It's in everything that we fly commercially and I suspect it's in every single business jet and it's made its way into a few general aviation aircraft as well. I was going to say in the past I owned uh, a Grumman, a Yankee cool. and that I was have built. Some time in it. A cheetah so <laughs> okay yeah a little two-seater yankee and that was built with that so if anybody ever wanted to repaint we had to have a very specific process that you didn't chemically strip the paint and affect the uh the bonding agent of yeah. epoxy yeah yeah that's right so if so, somebody were you know, to get uh one of these these kits um where would a builder start a lot of companies offer a tail kit just to get your feet wet in the in the assembly parts but where would you start with one of the chipper uh, well, that is the question, isn't it? I wish I had a better answer to it. Uh, we're going to start with uh, an airframe kit for Chipper 2. Um, the uh, airframe kit's going to get you everything that you need uh, short of CNC cut material, short of billet materials to put the plane together. Uh, and it's pretty much going to be the same way for Pro Cub and Ultra Cub as well. Uh, that's where things diverge. For the ultralights, there's not a whole lot of uh, additional machine parts required to make the thing fly, if any. Uh, but for uh, the uh, Chipper 2, then we follow up with what's called a finishing kit. And one of the things that I'm looking to do to reduce costs, because, uh, you know, safety's first, but cost is number two, and then everything else follows after safety and cost. Um, uh, the uh, uh, the thing that I want to do is supply these kits and then have us not do the kitting of the uh, nuts and bolts and rivets. We used to do that. It was really a value add feature. But since I'm starting over and there's just one of me for the time being, it makes more sense just to publish the list and then have the uh, buyer produce those, uh, have the builder uh, procure those things from aircraft spruce or wherever where you can have a published list and i have i don't have to charge any handling for that so you essentially uh, just create a materials list exactly and that's with... that's the course that uh, a lot of the uh, kit companies have followed of course you know um, uh, others do more complete but you have to judge what it is that you can do in order to reduce costs and make it easy at the same time for the builder and then so, honestly, once you get your materials list created, it's probably a, a fairly simple conversation with like Wix aircraft or um, 
aircraft spruce yeah. for them to create a line item of, a, of a, their own kit. And then they've yeah. got that already. So they can just order it straight from there versus trying to one by one by one get quantities of such. Yeah, exactly. So and Wix and aircraft spruce would be the go to places to get that done. Yeah, I've worked with both of them. Good, good companies, good people. So uh, it, once somebody did receive the kit, would you have any recommendation again of like where where to start just to get you know a little bit going on here? I mean, you obviously you built several. Um, what would be the? Let's just narrow it down. What is the simplest assembly you could possibly start with in one of your kits? Oh, let's that's go probably the, a good starting point. Let's go with the cabin. You the can cabin. Make, you, you can dive make, right into the cabin, huh? Right into the cabin. Okay. Uh, because uh, everything fits together. It's it's Legos, man. Uh, aluminum pieces go together. Put those clicos in there, and uh, I would say within the first day, at the end of eight hours, you know, assuming you have some familiarity and you've done your homework, in a, in a work day, you can have something that kind of looks like a cabin. You know? I was going to say that your kit must be one of the most rewarding kits if you can actually start with the cabin because it literally jumps off of the page, jumps off of the table, yeah. and you have something that looks like an airplane within the first weekend of working on it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, oh man, I'm working so hard on that, trying to make it easy for people to put together. Uh, and, and so I do want, people have to have the satisfaction of getting feedback from what it is. Absolutely, that absolutely. You know? So... So what, what what will be the bare minimalist tools that you would need to buy to start building one of your yeah. one of your kits? Uh, well, everything, all hand tools. Let's just check all the obvious hand tools. You're going to have screwdrivers and clecos and cleco pliers and all that good stuff and drills. Uh, so what you're really asking is uh, what unusual tools are required to work with my thing. Um, about the only thing that I would call out is uh, a shear and a break. Uh, and, you know, the uh, shear and the break are used for cutting off edges of parts and then bending them over to the uh, correct level. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking here, you know, I'm early in, early in the reboot here. Is, is that absolutely necessary? Uh, I'm not sure that it is. But what, what really, size? Like the, the hobbyists, like a 24 inch or 36? Like yeah. how, how big of a... Uh, 36, a 36, 36 inch. And, you know, that's a, these days from uh, uh, Harbor Freight and the like, I think that's about a $300 investment, maybe less, maybe more. Right about there. Sure. Yeah. 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 So no, nothing, nothing exotic whatsoever. I don't like putting builders in the position where they have to have something. Now there's places where you get in the build where, uh, for instance, you need to close some collars around some cable and you need to have a great big you know, but hopefully you can borrow stuff like that. Um, you know, a uh, 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 senior moment here when you want to press down the thing around a cable sleeve, sure, and you sure. want to have a, a good press for that. <clears throat> so there's always a need for some tools that are a little out there, but nothing terribly exotic. So what would your estimate be to build? Let's just talk about the metalwork, the airframe itself, not the engine and instruments and paint, because uh -huh. that can be infinite but just to assemble the airframe what would be the hour investment you think chipper two airframe 600 hours okay not bad not bad uh, yeah well that's taking advantage of that honeycomb uh the entire rear fuselage every former comes as an individual piece uh, uh the wing construction is probably identical procedure wise to any other metal aircraft 
but the cabin and the fuselage are going to build ahead of schedule. Uh, the tail feathers are easier because they're made out of honeycomb aluminum as well. So you're starting with a single piece and just finishing it out. Now, is this all 2024 or 6061 T6 or a mix? It's a mix. Uh, we used a lot of 2024 T3 and a lot of 6061 as well. The skins were 2024 T3, but uh, 6061 is uh, everywhere else. Then we used uh, 7075 T6 uh, just in the landing gear. Um, oh my gosh, those are enormously strong. <clears throat> is the uh, the honeycomb the 6061? It's 2024. Okay. The skins on it are 2024 T3. So that being said, I know 6061 T6, the reason why it's used most of the time is because of its qualities to resist and corrosion. Correct. 2024 is slightly stronger, but has the ability to corrode a little bit quicker. Hence, Which most usually people... means it's alclad okay. as a result. To so is there anything that you would need to do specifically, especially this honeycomb, to protect it from corrosion? Uh, no. Uh, I always recommend corrosion treatment, though, uh, you know, spraying it. But uh, uh, now with some history with my particular plant, there's no corrosion occurring on it. The 2024 that's used as part of the uh, process, uh, all of our metal skins are all uh, alclad as well. And uh, uh, the, uh, the interior of the wing, I have an example up in at the shop there uh, where we built one particular wing three years ago and it's just sitting there. But we did uh, cover it completely with uh, aluminum primer in order to prevent it from corroding over the long term. And that's what I'd recommend doing spraying the structure with uh, either a primer or a sealant before you seal it up. Okay, which is quite typical of, of any airframe construction for the most part. And some people living up in the Midwest or Northern territories don't bother with it so much because it's, or, or Western, it's so dry. I'm in Florida, so pretty much anything that can possibly grow, we, we seal because of the yeah. humidity and uh, vicinity to the um, proximity to the ocean and so forth. All right, so let's move into the engine real quickly. So. Uh, what, on each airframe, obviously, you've got the part 103, which is extremely light, and then you've got yeah. the, the chipper two. So yeah. which engines are you going to be using for the kit, suggesting at least? Uh, I've got three that I suggest. Um, I haven't paid much attention to aero momentum, but I'm going to put a shout out to them because I have a number of builders using their product. And uh, uh, it looks like a good combination price wise and performance wise. I'm flying with UL power and I'm in love with my 350 IS engine, uh, which is rated for up to 130 horsepower. Um, love it, love it, love it, love it. Turn the key, starts like a car, everything's computerized. That is, you know, there's no mixture control, fuel injected. The third engine is the uh, classic Rotax. Back in the early days of Chipper 2, I demonstrated how phenomenal the performance of a two-seat airplane was with a passenger with an 80 horsepower engine. I mean, the thing just performs really, really well. So Rotax, UL Power and Aero Momentum is where I'm putting my, my effort. I would pay attention to Viking if I had a builder that was using them. Don't currently have a builder doing anything with the Viking that I'm aware of, but uh, they seem like they might have a good product as well. So that being said, um the 350 is i believe is 130 horsepower at 3300 rpm 30, but, 33. but if you're running a bigger prop for stole um and also for ground clearance issues uh well 
you're, you're not going to get 3,300 RPM out of a stall right. aircraft, right? So you're going to be closer to probably 28, 29, maybe even three, which means you have to have a smaller prop. So your 350 IS, 130 horsepower, I think Zenith, let's use them as an example, did a really good uh, intense um, <coughs> testing with Sensenic um, and UL power and different prop lengths and so forth. So um, you could, and correct me if I'm wrong, go with their uh, 118 horsepower and probably have roughly the same horsepower. I think that's closer to 2,900 RPM. I think you've got it figured out. Uh, you're you're just dead on. First of all, 3,300 is the red line for 130 horsepower. I've noted a time or two that I'm not running 3,300. I'm pitched for around 2,800 on the ground. Okay. Uh, and then going to the chart at sea level, that would produce me around 115 horsepower. So I'm really running with about 115 horsepower rig um uh and uh i think i'm running a sensenic prop as well a two blade i would love to be running with a three blade that would improve my ground clearance uh but i'm not so uh there's there's a wonderful play space there with rpms props and uh, decisions uh that i'm in now uh if i got to a stall competition you know my dream is to switch over to a three blade prop uh, and then repitch for 3,300 RPM, 31, 3,200 RPM. Sure. The uh, UL power will, it'll automatically RPM limit at 3,300 RPM. You want it so that just as you're accelerating, you're hitting that maximum power. Sure. Mm -hmm. But the flip side is my prop, I don't think my prop is actually rated for usage at 3,300 RPM for any length of time. I mean, I'm in a box right now of my own making. Yeah, and it's yeah, a good yeah. box. I'm getting great performance. Sure. Yeah, I was just curious because it's it's, it's a little bit a little bit more for the the 350 IS 130 horsepower, and if you're not actually utilizing all of it, you could probably go with the slightly lesser cost of the 118 horse um, engine. Correct. Um, but that being said, UL is a good option. I mean, power to weight ratio they're doing very well. Um, so they're they're matching up to especially with these light sport aircraft as a great option. Um, I think Jabiru would probably be another one to look at, which is a similar uh, weight, but it is still heavier um, of an engine, of course, and that's, I believe, carbureted, whereas UL power is fully FADEC and fuel injected. But you, you mentioned several engines here, including uh, maybe an Aeromentum or maybe a Viking. Um, so we're talking about, uh, you know, a good range of a weight class of engine, which means your firewall forward you, you must have a little bit of leniency there to be able to accept such engines. So what would be the max firewall forward installation weight? Because as an engineer designing that, that's probably really where your, right. your box ends, right? Yeah. You can only yeah. put so much ballast in the tail to counter that. And it starts affecting your flight characteristics. Right, right, right. Well, uh, so the first answer is I should know the exact answer to your question. And I don't haven't studied the numbers in uh, closely in three years, but uh, uh, my firewall rate weight forward right now is probably about 200 to 210. The engine is around, what is it? 160, 165. And uh, the prop's pretty heavy. Uh, you know, we still have an engine mount. We've got a lot of hardware there hanging on the firewall. Those fuel pumps are heavy and the cowl is you know, it weighs eight or 10 pounds as well. So I'm probably sitting around 200, 210 currently. Uh, from my uh, my feeling on the plane is that uh, CG wise, 
uh, we could certainly add another 50 pounds forward and another uh, five pounds aft and still, you know, pull off the CG thing. Uh, so I don't see a problem really with CG. Okay. So and, and that's an interesting, that's an interesting uh, uh, thing there too, because people don't realize um, when you're, you're talking about arm moments and, yeah. and weight, right? You, you think like, well, how can I add 50 pounds? I have a pen here. How can I add 50 pounds Perfect. here and then only add five pounds here? Well, because your, your CG is somewhere in the middle and that arm is so long that your five pounds acts like 50, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the other answer to the question is, is that I, I wanna do more exploration of the uh, center of the control envelope for chipper two. And I've just not had a chance to do that. When I say the control envelope, I'm not referring to the CG envelope. I'm referring to the true control envelope where uh, the uh, center of pressure uh, is still ahead or behind the center of gravity. And that does not relate to the 25% on the wing cord. Do you follow what I'm saying? Uh, so I've got a great aeronautical uh, you, you Feel welcome to, to uh, feel free to expand on that if you want. Oh, I, I, I love this stuff. Yeah. So in other words, uh, the CG envelope is uh, you want the, your operable uh, controllable area to be bigger than the CG envelope. How much further behind the CG can you get? Uh, how much can you move that around and still be able to have enough elevator effect to safely land the airplane and do those things? That's on a CG forward. And then on the CG back, if you get it too far back uh, on the CG envelope, what's going to happen then is you're going to lose positive stability. So in other words, you're going to be doing a mental fly-by-wire continuously to keep the plane flying. You can experience the same thing for grins and nearly kill yourself by putting your horizontal stabilizer into the wrong trim. Uh, and as a result, you have to constantly be putting force into the airplane. And if you let go, the plane goes to immediate stall, or if you have it trimmed the other way, it goes into an accelerating dive. So all that's associated with playing with your determining where your center of pressure is uh, on the airplane and uh, matching up the CG. And that is a portion of the bigger answer as to how heavy can you go and what do you really need to do balance? Because that, uh, the, the more weight then all of a sudden starts affecting your stability. And yeah, this is your, fun your, stuff. This your, is, your control, your cross country flying diminishes as far as uh, the enjoyment of it, I assume. Yeah, if you're constantly doing uh, control inputs, that's uh, no fun at all. Uh, I speak from uh, a little personal experience there. I did an intentional misrig on my elevator, uh, and I had no idea what moving the leading edge of my elevator by seven-eighths of an inch would do. And it was just phenomenal how it changed the uh, characteristics of the airplane when I misrigged it. Went around the pattern once, and it's kind of like, well, check that off the list. Uh, that was uh, uh, not a whole lot of fun because I had to maintain so much stick force to keep it flying. And if I let go, it, it was going to go to a, a diverging uh, point of view pretty quickly. But, sure. Let, let's not do that again, huh? No, no. So, um, so before I, I, get, I get, stuff, though. before I get too far away from, I do want to ask so you could share here, what is going to be the price point for both the experimental chipper Two and then moving forward for the uh, the ultralight, so people can get an idea. And we're talking about December twenty twenty one. At this moment, things change, especially price of aluminum <laughs> these days. Uh, did you see my eyes pop out when you said price point? 
you will when you go back and look at the video. Uh, I hate to talk about price point because as soon as I quote a number, uh, people it either moves. love me or hate me. So if I quote a low number, the buyers love me, but my wife hates me. If I quote a high number, it just flips around the other way. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know the price points. I am painfully aware of what the price points were when we went out of business. Mm. So I'm just, I'm not prepared to give a price point. I'm sorry. Okay. But early on in 2022, you are planning to start production and shipping, correct? So the next quarter. Uh, we'll the have price updates. points will be out in the next quarter. Okay. They will be out in March. Okay. Well, we look forward to that. And will you um, be, what are the next shows that you'll be at for 2022? What, which places are you going to be attending this year? Uh, skipping Copper State. I've never been there. That would be an obvious place. I'm just not ready to go. Sun and Fun. Let's go to Sun and Fun and have some fun. Okay. Um, that's uh, April 5, I believe. Uh, and then, uh, you know, um, God willing, I am planning to go to Alaska uh, at the end of April and be up there for the Alaska Airman Show. Wow. Uh, and also to the Valdez competition. Wow. Okay. Big goals. Uh, there, that, that's a big deal. Uh, going up there, I want to go visit the place where I wrecked my plane. And I want to, I want to, I mean, I need to do some stuff in Alaska. It's, it's, it's really important for me. So for those, um, not to focus on anything negative for too long, because, you know, we're here to promote aviation, but five minutes, because I'm not really aware of the details. What happened in Alaska when, when you, when you crashed the plane? Uh, the engine quit. It's really pretty simple. Okay. I was climbing out. End of story. Lake, yeah, <laughs> no, uh, just, um, climbing out from Lake hood and 150 feet off the ground. I was doing a intentional go around on a pattern. It was a test flight. We'd been doing a lot of work on the engine and the fuel system, uh, and the engine quit. Um, so, you know, um, uh, yeah, it's a weird thing about accidents in aviation. Uh, there I was, you know, tower uh, engine quit going down, cleared to land, couldn't get the plane stopped by the end of the runway. Runway ended in a chain link fence, bounced over the fence, hit the fence, ended up upside down in a marshy bog, dead stop, 345 feet off the end of the runway. Wow. Uh, hung there upside down, heard the sirens, and I thought to myself, they're coming for me. Established that uh, the structure of my aircraft was incredibly strong. Uh, everything held together beautifully, came out of it with a couple of scratches. I walked away from a full stop uh, aviation accident, really uh, uninjured, um, and, uh, uh, and learned to have a, a, a great deal of uh, respect for the choices that I was making in terms of how I do engine, how I do fuel, and, and so forth. Sure. Sure. Well, happy oh. that you are able to walk away from that and yeah, and, uh, it all turned out scratches. okay. Yeah, and less and lessons learned. What ended up uh, be, being the issue with the engine stoppage? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> there's an NTSB report out on it, uh, and uh, the the NTSB report. Uh, uh, how to say this? Uh, the the engine quit because of fuel issues uh, okay. let's just leave it at that and uh, you can go out there to my blog you can read the, all the analysis of the ntsb report it's there okay so 
you know, that's sensitive territory. Understand, understand. So uh, you're gonna you're gonna go out to uh, Sun and Fun. Gonna go yep. to Alaska. That's that's the big target. Are you gonna try to make Osh as well this year? Oh, or? Of course. Okay. You just you rolled the list up right there. Okay. Uh, of course, I'll be at Oshkosh. I'm looking forward to being there. And I've got so many friends in aviation, most of whom I've not seen in three years. So I'm really I'm wanting to be there. Nice, nice. And uh, being that you've been around this industry for for several years be, before you know, you had to stop for a little bit. What has been, um, cause I want to focus on some smaller venues moving forward. Um, obviously Oshkosh is great, but the footprint has gotten so large. I mean, and unfortunately have separated some of the things that I want to see, you know, like the ultralight field is 7,000 feet away <laughs> from the experimental field as an example. And you have to take a bus or a tractor or something to get down there. Right. Um, what has been your experience with some of the smaller venues, maybe at your local airport uh, and getting people out to introduce them to aviation? I'm I taking notes. The, I'm taking I'm, notes. Uh, Midwest, uh, I believe there's one in, uh, where is it, Illinois, the Midwest Aviation. Uh, it's usually been in October. Lightsport Aviation are, Expo. Yeah, that's it. Love that one. Uh, I haven't been to a lot of the small venues, but that'll be my prime example. It was a good crowd. Uh, what happens at a place like that is that you really have an opportunity to go flying with people okay. and you, you, instead of, you know, performing before thousands, uh, you get to connect with people one-on-one, -on -one. Uh, you have time to talk. Uh, it was just a, a great experience. Oh, I've been to um, uh, Florida. Speaking of Florida, I've been to uh, the, uh, what's the first show of the year? Uh in uh, january well, well they, they moved it around but deland it, yeah before it was at deland uh, i've attended that one several times in fact uh, sebring that, sebring sebring of course okay uh yeah it's now at deland i haven't been to the land but i i did sebring and i really enjoyed that as well a smaller show and that's where i originally introduced chipper to the world uh, chipper two uh, i remember a, a reporter an editor from eaa you know kind of tackling me to make sure that he could talk about it so uh, small shows are really, really important. Uh, I think one of the things too that's happened in COVID is that there's a desire for people to come together more locally, fly-in wise. Regional stuff, yeah. Yeah, regional stuff. So I'm all for it. Uh, give me opportunity and uh, I'd like to have a chance to be there. Okay, okay. Cause I'm, I'm trying to get some things in the works uh, for Florida and the panhandle here next, next year. So I just yep. want to get some, feedback from your experiences might have some very focused fly-ins whether it's you know like a, a tailwheel fly-in or you know very specific specific to an airframe or whatnot but something every month um probably starting in february um foxtrot 95 calhoun county my little airport here in the panhandle um all right so what else did i want to ask you today um where you've been posting some stuff on your, your a YouTube channel there and on Facebook, uh, will you be continuing that that route with uh, communicating what's going on and and growing yeah. your follower followers uh, there? Well, one thing that's uh, uh, improved in the course of the last three years is that uh, uh, my impression is is that we're communicating with each other well through social media, just like we're doing here. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Facebook, I'm so active on Facebook. 
Uh, I try to post every day somewhere. I'm posting on three or four different groups. Uh, I'm doing my own thing on Chipper Builder. I'm still maintaining B-Light aircraft uh, as well. I post, uh, uh, and then uh, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube. Uh, I'm posting content on YouTube. Uh, I'm trying to follow in your footsteps. I'm doing a video blog of sorts. I've just posted my third episode of that. Uh, and so far, I've just been focused on providing details as to how I do design, but I want to have some guests too for that as well. I love the way that you can track uh, the analytics. I'm sure you do this too. It's going back in and looking as to who who came and saw what you're doing, where did they come from? Um, demographics, and, yeah. Yeah, demographics, getting chances to understand uh, who and how you're connecting with people, what they want to hear. But uh, I'm doing it all. I did a Patreon as well. Uh, I've had a lot of, uh, uh, that's been off to a, a great start. Uh, there's a, another one out there. I think it's Dark Arrow that they've been doing a lot of stuff related to uh, content generation. They've been booting an aircraft company okay. uh, using lots of these same paths. So I figured, what the heck? Always a chance to learn how to do something new. So let's do it. And uh, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm using every available means to try and connect with people in aviation. You and I are on the same same ship here. So where where just so to to easily find that, where are you on Facebook, on YouTube, and other um, social media platforms? Just oh, lights or chipper hard. or yeah. Uh, chipper builder is a great place to start. Okay. Uh, and from there on Facebook, you can branch out to Microlight and Ultralight, uh, which is a great group uh, that's hosted out of England. Um, then uh, over on YouTube, I'm, you can find me by searching B-Light Aircraft or Chipper or Radiant Instruments. On Patreon, it's just my name, James Weeby. You have to spell it right. Um, and my blog, uh, I've been doing blog content every week or so. That's tough having the discipline to write. And when you're busy, like you are doing your stuff, but I do post on jamesweebyblogspot.com, which is called the Standard Pilot Blog, B-L-O-G, which is a pl play on the old logbook, the Standard Pilot Log. I have okay. the Standard Pilot Blog. Okay. So lots of ways to find me. Yeah, I honestly hate writing oh, to... Chipper.arrow. Uh, Chipper.arrow, okay. I, and I honestly those will all be linked from the website, too. There's a okay. concept. <laughs> yeah, I personally don't really like to write myself either. That's why I say it with video as, as much as possible because it's much easier just to record it and, and uh, show it video than anything else. I'm a visual learner, so it's helpful to, to see things. So th thanks for taking uh, a little bit of your morning with us today to share what's going on in, in your life and your world here. And uh, very excited for you um, to get Appreciate back it. into this. And I'm excited to see what's going to come out of your uh, your new production facility moving forward and and how many new people will be getting into the air here here shortly so um thanks for sharing all that information and guys i'll put up a couple of links so you can follow this stuff or, or write it down or whatnot um in the description below this video I'll, I'll put some links as well so thanks james and uh i'll have to have you on again in the future after march so we can get some pricing information and see you in full production and just do a, a follow-up on where you're at and you've got a big invite to come visit my facility anytime. Where is that located again? So just Wichita, Kansas, air capital of the world. There's a lot of stuff 
to aviation wise to do here. Awesome. Uh, Kansas Air and Space Museum, the Kansas Aviation Museum. Anyone comes to Wichita, uh, let me know ahead. I'd love to show you where it is that I do this stuff. I've got a really neat location at an airport uh, and a well cleaned up shop that's uh, going to work. An aircraft manufacturer that's actually based at an airport. How about that? That's the way it is. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for watching, and I'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for downloading and listening to our podcast today. Hopefully you built something in your garage or hangar while listening. That's it for us today here on the EAC Aviation Podcast. I'm out. <laughs>